Well, my name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and if I haven't had the privilege or the opportunity of meeting you yet, um, I hope I get to soon, and we hope and pray that you enjoy Palm Sunday today, and I just want to encourage you, um, this is a great week to invite someone with you to church. Um, people who maybe never come to church or don't regularly come to church uh, will come during Easter or Christmas a lot of times because these are high and holy weeks to a lot of people. So I want to encourage you, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a neighbor, I want to encourage you to invite someone maybe this week to come with you for Easter service next Sunday. It's going to be a great time. Pastor Dan is going to be speaking. Pastor Brent has some special things set up and ready for us, and so it's going to be a great week. Now, you've probably heard this quote before, confession is good for the soul, all right? So I, we're going to confess a little bit this morning, which sometimes we don't like doing that in church because we want to look like we have it all together. Um, but I want you to participate this morning, and so we're going to do a little bit of confessing. If you're joining us online, you're welcome to participate also. Um, but I want to ask you this question, and then we're going to raise our hand. If you've ever tried to bargain with God yeah, nervous laughter, right? <laughs> if you've ever tried to bargain with God, could you just lift your hand up really quick? Okay, awesome. You're in good company. If you've ever tried to bargain with God this morning, then you're in good company because most of the time, or most of us this morning, we raised our hands that we've tried to bargain with God. And this looked different when we were younger. When, when I was a teenager, it normally had to do with girls or curfew. And what I mean by that, it was, God, if she will say yes, or if she will go out with me on a date, or God, if, if she is just even slightly interested, then I'll, I'll start going to youth camp, I'll, I'll even start going to Sunday school, I'll serve God, whatever you want me to do, God, I will do it. And, and then with curfew, all of us have probably been driving home over the speed limit, hoping mom and dad are still asleep, praying, God, please, please, let them have taken NyQuil tonight. I mean, I just, I want to be able to sneak into the house. God, if you'll let them sleep through me getting inside, I'll even be a missionary to Africa. God, whatever it is, please, 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 just let me get in the house without being recognized. So we, we've all bargained with God, and a lot of times we end up dropping our end of the deal when things do work out. We, we do that. And, and bargaining with God, it looks different as adults in our lives. We, we've all tried to bargain with God. And, and sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes it's a legitimate thing. But bargaining with God really is just this simple idea of, God, what do I have to do for you to lean in my direction? God, what do I have to do to get you to do what I want you to do for me? And maybe you've bargained with God, and it's a little bit serious because your marriage is going through a rough time right now. Or your kids have kind of gone off the tracks a little bit, and you're wondering what they're going to end up doing next. Maybe bargaining with God looks different for you because it's a health issue with yourself or with your spouse or with someone in your family. So, so bargaining with God can, can be a legitimate thing sometimes because we're asking God, I, I need you to intervene in this situation or in this circumstance. The, the other thing, and maybe you, you haven't been to church in a long time, may, maybe this is your first time back in a long time, or maybe you're watching online today because you tried to bargain with God, and, and he didn't hold up with his end of the bargain. He didn't act the way that you thought he should act, and so you kind of got frustrated with God, and you, you walked away from God, or you walked away from the church, or you walked away from your faith because you said, you know what, is it really even worth it anymore 
to follow Jesus because it doesn't seem like he has done anything for me lately. And so we all have been in this situation and in this circumstance. And so today we're going to look at a character in the Bible who, who tried to bargain with God. And specifically, he tried to bargain with Jesus. He, he wanted Jesus to do something that he thought Jesus should do. And in fact, he, he, he finally gets frustrated and fed up because it doesn't seem like Jesus is doing what Jesus should be doing for this individual. The person we're looking at this morning, he, he was a pretender. Eventually, it comes out that he was a traitor. And, and there was usually three sides to everything for this guy. There was the right side, the wrong side, and then his side. And then there was, of course, an a what's in it for me side. The, the person we're going to look at this morning, drum roll, is Judas Iscariot. And, and Judas, he, he, he wasn't the only disciple who used Jesus as a means to an end. All of the disciples, to a certain extent, used Jesus as a means to an end. So before we point the finger at just Judas, all, all of the disciples were a little bit guilty of this. In fact, you, you might remember the story there. If you've read through the Gospels, if you looked in your Bible before, there's titles at the top of some of the chapters. And, and there's this one title, and it says, The Rich Young Ruler. Do you guys remember that story? This guy, this rich young guy comes to Jesus and he says, he asked a question that all of us have probably asked before at some point in time. Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, have you looked at the commands and the law? And the young man says, of course I have. I've obeyed all of the rules, all of the laws. I've kept everything ever since I was a little boy. And I just imagine Jesus smiling at this man because he knows that he hasn't. <laughs> But the Bible tells us that he loved him, that there was something that Jesus, he was drawn to this young man. And he said, okay, well, you only lack one more thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the young man goes away sad because he had a lot of stuff. Let me paraphrase that. It wasn't that he just had a lot of stuff, but his stuff had him. <laughs> you may know someone like that. And so Peter, he, he always talks when he shouldn't talk. He had this disease called foot and mouth. I don't know if you guys have ever suffered from that, but I have. I've swallowed my Nikes many, many times. But, but he can, has a tendency to put his foot in his mouth, and he'll say things that no one else would dare say. Even everybody else is thinking it. And so he says this to Jesus. He, he says, Jesus, this is Peter, we, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Jesus, what will there be for us? I mean, Jesus, I've given up my Sunday mornings. I used to play golf on Sunday mornings. I've even started going to Sunday school. Jesus, I even started giving. I mean, I'm not tithing, but at least I'm giving. I stopped using language. I mean, come on, Jesus, look at all of the stuff that I've done. What's in it for me? And so Judas wasn't the only one who tried to use Jesus as a means to an end. And I think, again, all of us, because we all raised our hand or a majority of us did, we, we've tried to bargain with Jesus before. And, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles, you're welcome to. It's gonna, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse number 6. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, if you don't have the app, it'll be up on the screen for you to follow along. But I have to kind of set up the story here. Judas had an Old Testament 
way of thinking. You, you guys know the Bible is broken up into two testament. There's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. And, and, and Judas had this Old Testament mindset, this Old Testament mentality, because the Old Testament told about a Messiah that would come. And this Messiah, it just that word simply means savior, that, that there would be this Messiah. And many of the Jews were looking for a military leader. They were looking for a political figure. They were looking for someone to overthrow the Roman Empire. And, and this person would overthrow the Roman Empire and they would reestablish the golden days of David and Solomon. And, and, and Israel would once again be a world power. They, they would, the world would have to stand up and recognize them once again. And Jesus had some characteristics of a Messiah, but, but there were some exceptions. <laughs> Jesus didn't hate the Romans. And people were constantly trying to get Jesus to turn or to say something against the Romans. And, and Jesus just wouldn't play that game. The other thing about Jesus is he was in this constant running battle with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the teachers of the law. He was in this constant battle with them. And, and Judas and all of the people around Judas knew that if you were going to cause a rebellion, if you were going to rebel against Rome, that you would need the religious leaders on your side. And Jesus just wasn't making nice with the religious leaders. He, he seemed passive at times. He, he seemed like he wasn't focused at times. And, and Judas is starting to wonder, is this even worth it? Have I wasted three years of my life following this guy? I mean, I could have been do doing something else. I, I could have started a rebellion by myself. It just seemed like Jesus wasn't moving fast enough for Judas. And so here's the straw that kind of breaks the camel's back, so to speak. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse number 6, this is what the Bible tells us. Matthew's writing this down for us, and this is what he says. While Jesus was at Bethany... In the home of Simon the leper, and we don't know who Simon the leper is, but the people who were reading this in the first century, they knew who he was. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he reclined at the table, to which we would say, that's gross, and I hope Jesus never asked me to do that, right? Because that's a little awkward or weird, and, and, and Jesus probably is not going to ask you to pour perfume on his head, more than likely, but... In this context, I just want you to picture it with me. They're not sitting at chairs. They're leaning back on the floor, probably on their sides or on their arms. And this woman comes in with an alabaster jar. Now, most of you know this story, but she had to crack open this alabaster jar because they didn't have lids like we have lids nowadays. They, this jar, this container was completely and totally sealed. So you had to break the neck open to pour it out. And Jesus is reclining at the table, and this woman comes over. She breaks the neck off of this perfume. She pours it on his head, and it runs down his hair, onto his beard, onto his robe. And the aroma fills the room. And no doubt, it, it just goes out even into the streets. And, and John, who was a disciple, he, he tells us something that, that Matthew leaves out. He says that this jar of perfume was worth about a year's wages. Now, just go there with me for a minute, okay? The average American income in the United States of America is $50,000, all right? So let's just say, let's, let's cut that in half because that, that seems crazy. So let's say $25,000. Let's say this, this jar of perfume was worth 25, okay, 15, 10, 
5000 all right? Let's say it was worth $5,000. Doesn't that even still seem ridiculous that you would take a jar of perfume and pour it or waste it on one pouring on Jesus' head? Five thousand. I mean, guys, what could you do with $5,000, right? I mean, you could probably do something with $5,000 rather than breaking perfume open and pouring it on top of someone's head. That's a lot of money. At least that's a lot of money to me. And so she's doing this, and the disciples are indignant. They're on the other side of the table, and they're arguing. And listen to what the disciples say. So when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And Jesus is on the other side of the table, and he knows what they're talking about. Because Jesus always knows what everyone is talking about. He knows the question before it's asked. He knows the hearts of men. He, he knows what you're thinking even before you think it. And so Jesus knows what they're discussing. And he sits up and, and he says to them, so aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? In other words, guys, this is her perfume. If she wants to break it and pour it out on the ground, what is that to you? This belongs to her. This has nothing to do with you. But on top of that, she has done a beautiful thing for me. She's, she's honored me. She's elevated my status. She's shown this demonstration of worship and honor to me. She's taken the most valuable thing she has. And she's given it to me. The poor, here's a famous verse, the poor you will always have with you. You will not always have me. He goes on, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Jesus, hold on. For burial? Jesus, you're the Messiah. What do you mean for burial? Why are you talking about funeral arrangements? Jesus, you can't die. You're the Messiah. What good is a dead Messiah? Jesus, do you know how long we've been waiting for you? I mean, our fathers, 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 all the way to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, the prophets told about you that you would come. And Jesus, there's no way that you can die. Because here's the really the bottom line of the question. Jesus, if you die, then what's going to happen to, to us? Because you guys know this. The disciples were rock stars. Hundreds and thousands of people are following Jesus every single day. And if you can't get close to Jesus, the next best thing is to get close to his inner circle. So Jesus, stop talking about death. Stop talking about funeral arrangements. Jesus, you can't die because then what's going to happen to us? And church, what Jesus says next if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in the Bible, if you don't believe in God, a personal God, maybe you believe that there's some type of God out there, but you don't believe in a personal God, this next thing that Jesus says should make you sit up straight and consider the New Testament. What Jesus says is so incredible, it's so deep, it's so profound, I, I hope that you don't miss it this morning. Listen to what Jesus says, truly I tell you, where this gospel is preached throughout the world, that word gospel can mean good news or story. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world. Hold on, Jesus, what do, you, what do you mean this gospel? What do you mean this story? Oh yeah, guys, you're a part of a story. This dinner that we're having right now, this meal that we're having right now, this, the fact that this woman just broke this jar over my head right now, that's a story. You're a part of a story. Jesus, what story? The story of my life. You guys know that song? No? Okay, my bad. Pastor Brent told me not to do that, but um, 
the story of my life. Jesus is saying, you're a part of the story of my life. This is a recording, and it's going to be preached around the world. Jesus, what do you mean around the world? Oh, yeah, this is going to be documented. This is going to be translated in languages. Hundreds and thousands of languages. This, this is going to be told. This story is going to be told in nations that haven't even been established yet. This story is going to be known around the world. Let me just ask you, church, how many of you have heard this story before you came in here this morning? That should make you sit up straight. That should make you consider Christianity. Because Jesus is saying this story, he didn't just predict his death, he didn't just predict his resurrection, he said this story, and all throughout the Gospels, Jesus does things like this, where he said there's going to be this gathering, there's going to be this group of people, there's going to be this church, and I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and they're going to recite these stories, and they're going to tell these stories about me. And Jesus says this will be done, this will be told in memory of her. And so, again, this was it for, for Judas. He, he left. He, he packs up his things. Bethany is about a mile outside of Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem. Judas says, hey, guys, I've got to go. And Judas packs up his things, and, and he walks into Jerusalem. And, and the Bible tells us that he goes to meet with the chief priests and the Pharisees. And this is what Judas asked the Pharisees. It says, then one of the twelve... The one they called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest in Jerusalem. And he says this, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? I mean, Judas is, is no doubt, he's thinking, okay, you know what? I, I just, I can't wait anymore. I, I can't wait any longer. Maybe, maybe if I sell him out to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Maybe that will force Jesus' hand. Maybe he'll actually start acting like a Messiah for once. Maybe Jesus will actually step up to the plate and be who I thought he was going to be. Maybe this will push him out into the spotlight where he'll actually start to act the way that I want him to act. And so the Bible tells us this little word deliver is very important because you guys know this. They couldn't arrest Jesus when there was hundreds and thousands of people around because that would start a riot. But they knew Judas was an insider, and so Judas would know when it's quiet. Judas would know when no one else was around. Judas would know the traveling patterns of Jesus. And so maybe if we pay Judas, this will work out to our benefit. Now, Linnell's grandmother, my wife, her name's Maddie, and Maddie over the years has, has taken a liking to me, which I'm grateful for and I'm thankful for because I married her granddaughter. Um, and Maddie and I, we share the same birthday. We share the same birthday. and we, Our birthdays are in November. And so out of all of her children, out of all of her grandchildren, out of all of her great-grandchildren, I'm Maddie's favorite. And not really. Maddie, if you're watching this... <laughs> I know that's a joke, but so over the years, Maddie has given me coins, a coin collection that she has kept over the years, and I, I didn't have 30 pieces, so I had to ask a couple of my friends here, a couple of the ladies who collect coins to help me, but 30 pieces of silver, these are silver dollars, coins, Someone else told me those aren't real silver, but we're going to pretend this is real silver here this morning for my illustration. 
But we've all tried to picture Jesus before. Jesus looks a lot like us, doesn't he? I mean, or a lot like me, just with the better beard and better hair, right? Hollywood's tried to portray what Jesus looks like, but, but Judas was face to face with Jesus. Judas saw Jesus walk on water. Judas saw Jesus open up blinded eyes. Judas saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. He raised a dead man. Judas saw Jesus cast out demons. Judas saw him puzzle the Pharisees and the Sadducees with his questions. He he saw him raise Jairus' daughter. He he saw miracle after miracle, feeding of the 5,000 over and over and over again. Judas saw Jesus face to face, eyeball to eyeball. And, And history tells us that 30 pieces of silver was probably about the price of a slave in the city of Jerusalem. And so Judas sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And it, it made me stop and think, at moments in my life, when I've been able to trade my relationship with Jesus for something else, and where you've probably at some point in time in your life, where you've traded your relationship with Jesus for something else, and you're beginning to wonder, is Jesus actually, is it really worth following him? And they counted out 30 pieces of silver for Judas. And Judas is looking for a moment, looking for a time when he can deliver Jesus over to the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, any moment. So the Bible tells us this is where the music changes, this is where the drama intensifies, because later that week on Thursday, they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. So Jesus sends his two of his disciples into Jerusalem to be, begin to pre, make preparations in this upper room. That, that's what we know it as. It, it's called the upper room. And, and they're, they're preparing and getting the house and all of the food and everything ready. And they go. And, and the Bible tells us that at the beginning of the meal, Jesus does something very strange. He takes off his rabbinical robe. He, he takes off his robe, the sign of authority that he has, and he wraps a towel around his waist. And he begins to get down on his hands and knees and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And his disciples are saying, Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this. You're our teacher. You're our rabbi. You're our Lord. Jesus, you're humbling yourself. You're the Messiah. There is no way that you should be touching our dirty, stinky, Birkenstock feet. You, You shouldn't be doing this, Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys think I'm a big deal. I'm doing this as an example for you, that whenever you start thinking you're a big deal, that you should wash one another's feet. And and Peter says, Jesus, you are not washing my feet. And Jesus says, sit down and shut up, Peter. Well, he didn't really say shut up, but he he said, sit down, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And then he takes the robe off and he puts his rabbinical robe back on and he goes and he sits down. And the Bible tells us that someone suggested, we don't know if it was Jesus or one of the other disciples, but someone suggests we should go to the Garden of Gethsemane after dinner tonight. And Judas is thinking, bingo, that's it. I'll go in, There's, there'll be no crowds, it'll only be the, the 12 of us, the 13 of us, it'll only be us, that's the perfect spot to have them arrest Jesus. But Judas is thinking and he's smiling along and he's nodding and he's acting like he's in the conversation. But in his mind, he's like, how in the world am I going to get out of here? 
And then Jesus says something that no doubt sent chills down Judas's spine. He says this, truly I tell you, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. To which Judas said, oh, right, I've been such an idiot. Why did I think I could pull the wool over his eyes? Why did I think that Jesus wouldn't know? Jesus knows the hearts of men. How did I think that I was going to be able to trick him? And Judas thinks this this is the end. Because Peter's been carrying around that stupid sword like he's really going to use it on somebody. And this might be the opportunity where he actually pulls it out. Because Jesus is probably getting ready to turn to me and say, hey, guys. Judas is the one who's getting to betray me, getting ready to betray us. But listen to what Jesus says. While there's this confusion, while there's this commotion, listen to what Jesus tells Judas. He says, what you are about to do, do quickly. Yeah, Judas, I know. I know what you're going to do, and I'm not going to stop you. In fact, I've got your back, so go. And do what you need to do. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. They just assumed the best. That Jesus had sent Judas on an errand. To run an errand before they meet up at the garden that night. And after Judas leaves. Listen to what Jesus says. Now the son of man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. In other words. God's hand cannot be forced. And God's will cannot be stopped. Judas, God's hand cannot be forced and God's will cannot be stopped. And church, isn't it amazing? It's amazing to me because Judas goes, he he goes out and and no doubt he doesn't think it's going to escalate the way that it's going to, but he leads the guards to the Garden of Gethsemane and he kisses Jesus on the cheek and he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, And Jesus asked him that famous question, Judas, you betray the son of man with a kiss. And they arrest him and they put him in chains and they lead him away. And Judas had no idea this was going to escalate the way that it did. He thinks maybe they'll rough him up, ask him some questions, throw him in in the jail for overnight and then let him go. But when he heard that Caiaphas had made orders for Jesus to be taken to Pilate, He knew that this was out of control because the Jews could do anything except execute someone. They needed Rome in order to do that. And so Judas, he he realized what he has done. And he takes, the Bible says, he takes the 30 pieces of silver back and and he's all of a sudden, it says in Matthew, Judas who betrayed him, when he saw Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. And he says this, I've sinned. I've messed up. I've I've done, I've betrayed innocent blood. And listen to what they tell him. Judas, what's that to us? That's your responsibility. That's your responsibility, Judas. That, That breaks my heart right there, church. That's your responsibility. And so the Bible tells us that he took the 30 coins and he throws them back in the temple. And Judas, to use a Jesus term, he gained a 30 pieces of silver world, but he lost his soul. He gained a 30 pieces of silver world, but he lost his soul. 
Listen to this, church. When we bargain with God rather than surrender, we're responsible for the outcome. Let me say that again. Hopefully it sinks in. When we bargain with God instead of surrendering to God, we're responsible for the outcome. Judas, what's that to us? You're the one who betrayed your Lord. You're the one who betrayed your rabbi. You're the one who did this. You're the one who took the 30 pieces of silver. Judas, what's that to us? That's your responsibility. Because apparently, church, I hope you can get this. Apparently, God will not get in the way of you having your way. God will not get in the way of you having your way. And some of you have tried and tried and tried to have your way with God. God, I promise I'll do better. God, if you do this, then I'll do this. And you've tried to bargain and bargain and bargain with God. And finally, at some point in time, God's going to say, okay, have your way then. When we refuse to surrender, when we want to bargain with God, God will not get in the way of you having your way, church. Some of you have had to learn that the hard way. I have had to learn that the hard way. If we want to kick and and kick and cry and scream against God and his will and his purpose and his plan for us, he'll say, okay, have at it. Have your way. And when we do that, when we bargain with God, we're responsible for the outcome. But listen to this. Here's the good news. When we surrender, God takes responsibility for the outcome. When we're willing to say, God, have your will. God, have your way in my life. God, I can't do this anymore. I can't walk around without a clear conscience. I'm tired of sacrificing my integrity. I'm tired of of having sleepless nights. God, I'm tired of trying to hide and hide and cover my tracks and clean out my history box and try and try to bargain with you. God, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. When we finally surrender our will to God and say, okay, God, you have your way, not my way, but your way. Brent, if you and the worship team want to come back, I'm going to close here. So here's the question. When was the last time you surrendered? When was the last time that you said to God, okay, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of of trading my relationship with you for something that's not even going to be worth anything to me later. Haven't you found that? That what you thought, the, the sin that you thought was going to satisfy you, the thing that you thought was going to satisfy you, the relationship that you thought, the amount of money that was on your paycheck, the position that you had, isn't it true that whenever you finally got there, you're wondering, why am I still empty inside? I thought this was going to be my payoff. I thought this was going to finally help me to feel what I wanted to feel all of this time. And we bargain and we bargain and we chase after those things. Believing that that's somehow going to satisfy us. And so church, when was the last time that you surrendered? You know why this is a big deal with me? You know what drives me as a pastor? Because sometimes I just want to get up in your personal space and grab you by the the shirt or grab you by the face and say, come on, you can do this. You, You can do this. You can make it. Or I want to grab you by the face or grab you by the shirt and say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? 
Why are you doing this to your wife? Why are you doing this to your husband? Why are you doing this to your kids? Why are you jeopardizing your future? Why are you sacrificing your relationship with God? Come on, come back to your senses like the prodigal son. Come on, you don't have to do this. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to trade in your relationship with God for something that's not even going to be valuable to you in the future. Come on. And as a pastor here, I've sat with many of you in my office And tears are in your eyes, and tears are in my eyes, and I'm like, come on, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell to your kids? What story do you want to tell to your grandkids? What story do you want to tell to your spouse? What story do you want to tell? Because one day this is just going to be a story, and you're making a decision today to trade in your integrity, to trade in your relationship, to trade in your character, to trade in your future for something that's like old 30 pieces of silver strewn on the floor. It's not worth it. And so church, when are you going to surrender? When are you going to surrender your GPA? When are you going to surrender your, your, your position? When are you going to finally surrender and, and say, okay, God, in my relationships, in my future, in my decisions, in my decision to forgive, in my decision not to forgive, in all of these things, God, I'm tired of living my way. I'm going to surrender. God, what do you want? What do you want? Because when we surrender to God's will, he's responsible for the outcome of the journey. And church, that's my hope and my prayer for you. And I'm closing. If you'll just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And I just want to ask this real simple question. And you can raise your hand and put it right back down. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to to respond to the front. I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing over us as we leave today. But maybe you feel like you've been in an arm wrestling match with God. And you're wondering, how did he know? How did he know? Because this is part of the human condition, church. We want to do it our way. And maybe you've been trying to bargain with God. Maybe it's been for weeks. Maybe it's been for months. Maybe it's been for years. I don't know. But you've bargained with God, and this morning you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to surrender my way and my will. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand for a moment, and then you can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Your hands are going up all over. Thank you. I see you in the balcony. Thank you. Down here on the main floor. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we've all been there. And some of us are there right now, wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And we know. We know in our hearts, God. We we know our conscience tells us. The people around us who love us, they tell us. God, we know. When we open up scripture, the pages of scripture, they tell us, and we're afraid. God, we're afraid of what we're going to lose. And God, in this moment, would you open up our eyes to see that resisting you is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. And Father, I pray that we would take our cue from this story this morning. And we would be the rare men and women who would be willing to open up our hands and say, okay, God, have your way, have your will in my life. That we would realize that the safest place, the greatest place of purpose is being found right in the center of your will. And surrender is the way 
to be there. So God, I pray, would you give us the wisdom to know how to live this out? Not just in this room, but this coming week, Monday through Saturday. God, would you help us to live this out? And would you give us the courage to take that step of faith and to surrender our will to you? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.